Welcome back to the Hemingway List Podcast, the podcast of excellence talking about Chapter 108. My mind is a blank BYO discussion prompts. I don't know. I just couldn't think of anything. Um, but here's one thing that you can think about. What will we read next on the Hemingway List? I think we've got about two weeks left of this book, so it's a good time to start voting for the next one. Um, so here are the choices. Far Away and Long Ago by W.H. Hudson. I don't know anything about that book. Um, so, mystery book. Hail and Farewell by George Moore. Interesting thing about that book is I don't know anything about it. So it's a bit of a mystery. The third book is Buddenbrooks by Thomas Mann. Now, the thing about that book is I don't know anything about it. So I can't tell you much. But the fourth book, the Oxford Book of English Verse, is a book of English verse, I presume. But I actually don't know anything about it. Those are the only four books left on our list, um, other than War and Peace. War and Peace, we still don't know what we're doing with War and Peace. It's the mystery book. We just don't know. Um, although, you know what does come to mind, though? Do you know what does come to mind? We've got two, we've got about, I think we've got about two weeks left of this book. Um, and so we'll finish mid-December. So we could, f- here's a thought. And tell me, guys, what you reckon of this. We could fill in those two weeks with something else. Um, one thing that comes to mind is maybe we could um, sort of do two weeks of Shakespeare sonnets. So, you know, we'll choose 14 of his sonnets and do one per episode or something like that. Um, right. Fill in those two weeks and then start in 2021 on the 1st of January start war and peace and run through the year with war and peace because war and peace has 365 chapters that would fill up the entire year and then what we could do then is sort of link back in with the a year of war and peace subreddit and um i don't know we could share the conversations and join those two communities back up temporarily for one year. What do you guys think of that? Because there's a huge audience there. Um, I mean, they've got even more subscribers at A Year of War and Peace than we do here. So that's what I'm thinking. Do we fill in half a month in December with some sonnets? Or I'm open to other ideas as well. We could even, um, you know, look at some of the... the um, some of the poems from the English Book of Verse, Book of English Verse, whatever it's called, or we could fill it in with something else. Um, that's my thought. And then go into 2021 reading War and Peace with conjoined with the other community. We could still keep our subreddit going and have our own conversation about it here, uh, but we could, I don't know, maybe we could do a cross-post of it or something like that um, of the daily discussion what do you guys reckon of that idea is that a good idea maybe I should add that um, as an option yeah I'll add that as an option war and peace um, starting Jan 1st joining yeah I'll just write that starting Jan 1st so, filler eps from mid 
deck December so if that makes sense anyway war and peace okay I've added that as an option cool um, what do you reckon? I think that's a decent idea. I actually would like... I think I'm ready to read War and Peace again. I think I'm ready. And the other good thing about that is... Is... Um, it it will expand the audience of this subreddit for the remaining four books after that. I think. Maybe. Who knows? Anyway, I only just thought of that as I was saying it. But I think it's a pretty good idea. So maybe we should... Maybe we should consider that. And it also, you know what else might be nice? Do you know what? I, all right. I'll just say this. What else might be nice is having that sort of two-week break in December where I'll still do a daily podcast, but they'll just be sort of a sonnet's worth, you know, very sort of snippet, um, snippet long. Because the sonnets are quite short, um, nice short podcast. It'd be nice over the Christmas sort of weeks to have that little bit of a sort of a holiday period so the more i talk about this the more keen i am to actually do that i think that's a pretty cool idea i think that's a pretty cool idea what do you guys reckon let me know in the comments okay now let's actually talk about the conversation of this what am i saying the um the book in question of human bondage Swim said the mummy fish, she said, I felt a real kinship with Mrs. Athelny. When she said to him, you do talk, Athelny, she said, looking at him, not with anger, but with scornful calm. You've had the pleasant part of children. I've had the bearing of them and the bearing with them. Mm. Mm. He does seem to just have the joy of fatherhood without much of the um, heavy lifting. Jan Brunt says, Mrs. Othelny has ended up being one of my favourite characters in the book. It's hard to give depth to a character who doesn't talk very much, but M has done well. Yeah, you know, now that you say it, Mrs. Othelny is a presence, isn't she? And we've barely gotten to know her at all, but we also, I feel like I've got a pretty good picture of her in my mind. I am Norwegian says, I hope the vicar leaves all his money for the church. Philip just longing for his death is wrong. Oh God, wouldn't that be a kick in the pants? I reckon um, there's a bit of cognitive dissonance at play when Philip's like, oh, he's probably just saying all this stuff about being broke uh, so that I don't ask him for money, but he's probably still got a lot of money, you know, because he's mentioned a few times how little money he's got and how expensive it's been being cared for while he's been sick. Um, and Philip's kind of dismissed it as like, oh, he just says that because he's a tight, you know, he's tight-fisted. But um, maybe maybe he's not just saying it. Maybe he really is struggling for money. And when when he does kick the bucket, Philip will be in for a nasty little surprise when he finds out that, you know, the money left to him won't cover him while he goes back to school. Swim said the mum, she said, Philip is definitely thinking dark thoughts. And if the vicar died sooner rather than later and left him enough money to go back to doctor school, it would allow him to escape his circumstances. The vicar, we know, was a cold, austere and selfish man to do to both his wife and Philip. It's no wonder Philip does not feel any filial love. The thing is, Philip is not acting on those dark thoughts and shows nothing of what he is thinking. We are privy to Philip's inner dark thoughts. I shudder to think what people would make of my dark thoughts. Yeah, I suppose we do, you know, 
we have the privilege of being able to look into a guy's mind while he's desperate for money. He's down on his luck. He has been for a long time. Things have never gone his way. This particular man was, wasn't particularly friendly to him. He was kind. and he, he gave him a home. But, you know, there's probably not warm and fuzzy feelings towards the vicar. And we're able to see his darkest moments, which we all have dark moments, but we don't, you know, we don't bear them out for people to see. So it's easy for us to say what a horrible thing to think, but it's just something that he thought, you know, it's not exactly something that he's enacted. Altreat said, I'm sorry this isn't on topic, but I'm wondering if there's another book being picked out for when this is over. Oh, well, there you go. We'll just address that. There's only a handful of chapters left. I am looking forward to doing so- doing another book with everyone. I got derailed from this one due to wildfires forcing a two-week evacuation from my home at the beginning. Jeez, that's uh, exciting and probably quite uh, stressful and bad. Um, all right, yeah, well, we've addressed that now. It um, The voting is open. Um, I have to put my vote in because I know what I'm voting for now that I've got this idea in my head. Um, yeah, I really want to do that. If we do decide to do War and Peace and start it on the 1st of Jan, um, we'll also have a, maybe a bit of a, maybe not a vote, but we'll just have a conversation in the discussion uh, about what to do with the filler time. With the, it'll probably be about, I think it'll be about two weeks or so that we'll get spare, maybe even maybe even three weeks. Um, but yeah, we'll talk about that. Very, very cool. Um, it's a good opportunity. I reckon it's a good opportunity, you know, it timed out pretty well that this book will finish just before the end of the year. And then the whole community of a year of war and peace is just sitting there waiting to start on the 1st of January. So I think, I think we should do that. All right. Um, That's, oh, that's it. That's the conversation. Let's read the next chapter. Chapter 109 goes like this. The autumn passed into winter. Philip had left his address with Mrs. Foster, his uncle's housekeeper, so that she might communicate with him, but still went once a week to the hospital on the chance of there being a letter. One evening he saw his name on an envelope in handwriting he had hoped never to see again. It gave him a queer feeling. For a little while he could not bring himself to take it. I brought back a host of... It brought back a host of hateful memories, but at length, impatient with himself, he ripped open the envelope, 7 William Street, Fitzroy Square. Philip. Dear Philip, can I see you for a minute or two as soon as possible? I am in awful trouble and don't know what to do. It's not money. Yours truly, Mildred. He tore the letter into little bits and going out into the street scattered them into the darkness. I'll see her damned, he muttered. A feeling of disgust surged up in him at the thought of seeing her again. He did not care if she was in distress. It served her right, whatever it was. He thought of her with hatred, and the love he had for her aroused his loathing. His recollections filled him with nausea, and as he walked across the Thames, he drew himself aside in an instinctive withdrawal from his thought of her. He went to bed, but he could not sleep. He wondered what was the matter with her and he could not get out of his head the fear that she was ill and hungry. She would not have written to him unless she were desperate. He was angry with himself for his weakness, but he knew that he would have no peace unless he saw her. Next morning he wrote a letter card and posted it on his way to the shop. 
He made it as stiff as he could and said merely that he was sorry she was in difficulties and would come to the address she had given at seven o'clock that evening. It was that of a shabby lodging house in a sordid street and when, sick at the thought of seeing her, he asked whether she was in, a wild hope seized him that she had left. It looked the sort of place people moved in and out of frequently. He had not thought of looking at the postmark on her letter and did not know how many days it had lain in the rack. The woman who answered the bell did not reply to his inquiry, but silently proceeded him along the passage and knocked on a door at the back. Mrs. Miller, a gentleman to see you, she called. The door was slightly opened and Mildred looked out suspiciously. Oh, it's you, she said. Come in. He walked in and she closed the door. It was a very small bedroom, untidy, as was every place she lived in. There was a pair of shoes on the floor, lying apart from another and uncleaned. A hat was on the chest of drawers with curl with false curls beside it, and there was a blouse on the table. Philip looked for somewhere to put his hat. The hooks behind the door were laden with skirts, and he noticed that they were muddy at the hem. Sit down, won't you? she said. Then she gave a little awkward laugh. I suppose you were surprised to hear from me again. You are awfully hoarse, he answered. Have you got a sore throat? Yes, I have had for some time. He did not say anything. He waited for her to explain why she wanted to see him. The look of the room told him clearly enough that she had gone back to the life from which he had taken her. He wondered what had happened to the baby. There was a photograph of it in the chimney piece, but no sign in the room that a child was ever there. Mildred was holding her handkerchief. She made it into a little ball and passed it from hand to hand. He saw that she was very nervous. She was staring at the fire and he could look at her without meeting her eyes. She was much thinner than when she had left him and the skinny, the skin, yellow and dryish, was drawn more tightly over her cheekbones. She had dyed her hair, and it was now flaxen. It altered her a good deal, and made her look more vulgar. I was relieved to get your letter, I can tell you, she said at last. I thought perhaps you weren't at the hospital any more. Philip did not speak. I suppose you're qualified by now, aren't you? No. How's that? I'm no longer at the hospital. I had to give it up 18 months ago. You are changeable. You don't seem as if you could stick to anything. Philip was silent for a moment, and when he went on, it was with coldness. I lost the little money I had in an unlucky speculation, and I couldn't afford to go on with the medical. I had to earn my living as best I could. What are you doing, then? I'm in a shop. Oh. She gave him a quick glance and turned her eyes away at once. He thought that she reddened. She dabbed her palms nervously with the handkerchief. You've not forgotten all your doctoring, have you? She jerked the words out quite oddly. Not entirely. Because that's why I wanted to see you. Her voice sank to a hoarse whisper. I don't know what's the matter with me. Why don't you go to a hospital? I don't like to do that and have all the students staring at me and I'm afraid they want to keep me. What are you complaining of? Asked Philip coldly with the stereotyped phrase used in the outpatient's room. While I've come out in a rash and I can't get rid of it. Philip felt a twinge of horror in his heart. Sweat broke on his forehead. Let me look at your throat. He took her over to the window and made an examination as he could. Suddenly he caught sight of her eyes. They were deadly, a fear in them. It was horrible to see. She was terrified. She wanted him to reassure her. She looked at him pleadingly, not daring to ask for words of comfort, but with all her nerves strung to receive them. He had none to offer her. I'm afraid you're very ill indeed, he said. What do you think it is? When he told her, she grew deathly pale, and her lips even turned yellow. She began to cry hopelessly. 
quietly at first, and then with choking sobs. I'm awfully sorry, he said at last, but I had to tell you. I may just as well kill myself and have done with it. He took no notice of the threat. Have you got any money, he asked. Six or seven pounds. You must give up this life, you know. Don't you think you could find some work to do? I'm afraid I can't help you much. I only got twelve bob a week. What is there I can do now, she cried impatiently. Damn it all, you must try to get something. He spoke to her gravely, telling her of her own danger and the danger to which she exposed others, and she listened sullenly. He tried to console her. At last he brought her to a sulky acquiescence, in which she promised to do all he advised. He wrote a prescription which he said he would leave at the nearest chemist's, and he impressed upon her the necessity of taking her medicine with the utmost regularity. Getting up to go, he held out his hand. Don't be downhearted. You'll soon get over your throat. But as he went, her face became suddenly distorted and she caught hold of his coat. Oh, don't leave me, she cried hoarsely. I'm so afraid. Don't leave me alone yet. Phil, please, there's no one else I can go to. You're the only friend I've ever had. He felt the terror of her soul and it was strangely like the terror he had seen in his uncle's eyes when he feared that he might die. Philip looked down. Twice that norm that woman had come into his life and made him wretched. She had no claim upon him, and yet he knew not why. Deep in his heart was a strange aching. It was that which, when he received her letter, had left him no peace till he obeyed her summons. I suppose I shall never really quite get over it, he said to himself. What perplexed him was that he felt a curious physical distaste which made it uncomfortable for him to be near her. What do you want me to do, he asked. Let's go out and dine together. I'll pay. He hesitated. He felt that she was creeping back again into his life when he thought she was gone out of it forever. She watched him with sickening anxiety. Oh, I know I've treated you shocking, but don't leave me alone now. You've had your revenge. If you leave me by myself now, I don't know what I shall do. All right, I don't mind, he said, but we shall have to do it on the cheap. I haven't got money to throw away these days. She sat down and put her shoes on, then changed her skirt and put on a hat, and they walked out together till they found a restaurant in the Tottenham Court Road. Philip had got out of the habit of eating at those hours, and Mildred's throat was so sore that she could not swallow. They had a little cold ham, and Philip drank a glass of beer. They sat opposite one another, as they had so often sat before. He wondered if, wondered if she remembered they had nothing to say to one another, and would have sat in silence if Philip had not forced himself to talk. In the bright light of the restaurant, with the vulgar-looking glasses that reflected in an endless series, she looked old and haggard. Philip was anxious to know about the child, but he had not the courage to ask. At last, she said, You know, baby died last summer. Oh, he said, You might say you're sorry. I'm not, he answered. I'm very glad. She glanced at him, and understanding what he meant, looked away. You were rare stuck on it at one time, weren't you? I always thought it funny, like how you could see so much in another man's child. When they had finished eating, they called at the chemist's for the medicine Philip had ordered, and going back to the shabby room, he made her take a dose. Then they sat together till it was time for Philip to go back to Harrington Street. He was hideously bored. Philip went to see her every day. She took the medicine he had prescribed and followed his directions, and soon the results were so apparent that she gained the greatest confidence in Philip's skill. As she grew better, she grew less despondent. She talked more freely. As soon as I can get a job, I shall be all right, she said. 
I've had my lesson now, and I mean to profit by it. No more racketing about for yours truly. Each time he saw her, Philip asked whether she had found work. She told him not to worry. She would find something to do as soon as she wanted it. She had several strings to her bow. It was all the better not to do anything for a week or two. He could not deny this, but at the end of that time, he became more insistent. She laughed at him. She was much more confident, much more cheerful now, and said he was a fussy old thing. She told him long stories of the manageress she interviewed for her for her idea was to get work at some eating house. What they said and what she answered, nothing definite was fixed, but she was sure to settle something at the beginning of the following week. There was no use hurrying, and it would be a mistake to take something unsuitable. It's absurd to talk like that, he said impatiently. You must take anything you can get. I can't help you, and your money won't last forever. Oh well, I've not come to the end of it yet and chance it. He looked at her sharply. It was three weeks since his first visit, and she had less and she had then less than seven pounds. Suspicion seized him. He remembered some of the things she had said. He put two and two together. He wondered whether she had made any attempt to find work. Perhaps she had been lying to him all the time. It was very strange that her money should have lasted so long. What is your rent here? Oh, the landlady's very nice. Different from what some of them are. She's quite willing to wait till it's convenient for me to pay. He was silent. What he suspected was so horrible that he hesitated. It was no use to ask her. She would deny everything. If he wanted to know, he must find out for himself. He was in the habit of leaving her every evening at eight. And when the clock struck, he got up. But instead of going back to Harrington Street, he stationed himself at the corner of Fitzroy Square so that he could see anyone who came along William Street. It seemed to him that he waited an interminable time, and he was on the point of going away, thinking his surmise had been mistaken, when the door of number 7 opened and Mildred came out. He fell back into the darkness and watched her walk towards him. She had on the hat, with a quantity of feathers on it which he had seen in her room, and she wore a dress he recognised too showy for the street and unsuitable for the time of year. He followed her slowly till she came into Tottenham Court Road, where she slackened her pace. At the corner of Oxford Street she stopped, looked around and crossed over to a music hall. She went up to her he went up to her and touched her on the arm. He saw that she had rough rouged her cheeks and painted her lips. Where are you going, Mildred? She started at the sound of his voice and reddened as she always did when she was caught in a lie. Then the flash of anger which he knew so well came into her eyes as she instinctively sought to defend herself by abuse. But she did not say the words which were on the tip of her tongue. Oh, I was only going to see the show. It gives me the hump sitting every night by myself. He did not pretend to believe her. You mustn't, good heavens. I've told you fifty times how dangerous it is. You must stop doing this sort of thing at once. Oh, hold your jaw, she cried roughly. How do you suppose I'm going to live? He took hold of her arm and, without thinking what he was doing, tried to drag her away. For God's sake, come along, let me take you home. You don't know what you're doing, it's criminal. What do I care? Let them take their chance. Men haven't been so good to me that I need bother my head about them. She pushed him away and, walking up to the box office, put her money down. Philip had threepence in his pocket. He could not follow. He turned away and walked slowly down Oxford Street. I can't do anything any more, he said to himself. That was the end. He did not see her again. Alright, there we go. Another chapter down. Bloody Mildred, what is wrong with that woman? Oh my god. She is a nightmare. Um, 
have your say about the chapter over at the subreddit. Thanks for listening. I'll see you tomorrow.